Hi, welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. Today, we're going to talk about Isabella of France. Isabella was born in 1295. That's it. That's all we know. Sometime in 1295. She was the daughter of a reigning king of France, and no one thought to jot it down when she was born. We only know 1295 because she was married in January, 1308, and she was 12, give or take, because no one thought to remember. Isabella was the fourth child and only daughter of King Philip the Fair and Joan of Navarre. We don't know a lot about her childhood, but here's what we do know. She grew up in the Louvre. Before it was a museum, it was a residence for the royal family of France. It, of course, looked nothing like it does now, been redone many, many times. The Mona Lisa wouldn't even be painted for another 200 years. She grew up with two reigning monarchs as parents and three older brothers. Her father was King Philip IV of France. He was very good looking and they called him Philip the Fair. He was a strong, kind, ambitious, and relatively emotion-free. He was described as neither a man nor a beast, but a statue. He did well for a medieval king He was able to take on the Knights Templar and win, so that's nothing to shrug off. But as a father, we can assume he was relatively distant, at least as far as emotions go, because he just didn't have that many, or at least didn't show them. But he was close to his daughter. She was his only daughter, and he spoiled her a little bit. Her mother was said to be rather ordinary looking, but very intelligent. She would have been busy. She lived in Paris with her husband and her children, but she was, on her own, Queen of Navarre. Navarre to the south. She had also been pregnant at least eight times, but only four of the children survived. Three sons and a daughter. Princess Isabella was said to have received her father's beauty and her mother's intelligence. She had an excellent royal education, even learning how to read. For queen consorts, there wouldn't have been a reason to learn to read. That's what the king's for. And Isabella was raised to be a queen consort. The reading was likely encouraged by her mother, who could also read, and, as a queen, probably found it very useful. Isabella enjoyed reading, and even had some books, which was pretty rare that long ago. When Isabella was ten, her mother died, along with the baby in childbirth. This would have been sad, but it likely wouldn't have been a top priority. Her mother had died having a baby, and in 1305, that was pretty common. Navarre needed a new ruler, and next up was Isabella's 16-year-old brother, Louis. So they were busy, and Isabella was probably left mostly on her own to cope. In 1307, King Philip had hundreds of Knights Templar arrested in France tortured, and some of them were burned at the stake. The official charges were things like usury and heresy, but the most likely reason was that Philip liked war, and he owed the Knights Templar a lot of money. No knights, no debt. Problem solved. This was the world of Princess Isabella, when in 1308, at the age of 12, she was getting married. Isabel's husband, 
was supposed to be the Prince of Wales, but old King Edward had died, and the Prince of Wales was now a 23-year-old King Edward II of England. It was right about now they regretted not keeping track of her birthday. Legally, you had to be 12 to be married, and she was 12-ish, but nobody knew for sure. Isabella's husband-to-be traveled from France to get married. Red flag number one. This was really unusual. A reigning king normally wouldn't leave his country for something as trivial as his own wedding. He would have sent someone to do it for him by proxy. It's like sending your assistant on an errand. But in this case, the errand was getting married. Or, if he was a real romantic, he would bring her to England for the wedding. But Edward didn't. He traveled to France. He was trying to make a good impression. His new father-in-law disliked him. And his English barons disliked him. He needed friends. And he needed them sooner rather than later. Edward, in addition to being king of England, was also the Duke of Aquitaine giving him lands in Gascony, a vassal state of France, meaning if King Edward wanted to keep Gascony, he had to pay tribute to King Philip. That wasn't exciting for one king to have to pay tribute to another king. He didn't want it to look like he owed this other king anything. A deal was made. Isabella would marry King Edward. Edward would pay tribute to King Philip and Philip would support King Edward against his angry barons. Everyone was doing their part for peace, but it wouldn't have been romantic, and Isabella would have had no say. It also would have been the thing she'd been preparing for her entire life. This was what she was preparing for. The custom in the early 14th century was that well-behaved husbands would be polite enough to use mistresses until their young brides were physically full-grown. But, of course, there were no laws about it, and it was entirely up to the husband. It does seem like Edward was polite enough. He had at least one child by a mistress, and Isabella, now Queen of England, didn't get pregnant with her first child until she was 16. So they do seem to have waited, and he does seem to have kept his word. The entire party left back for England, now including Isabella, her household, and some of her uncles to help her get settled in in England. Once back in England, there was a double coronation. Red flag number two. At the coronation, the Earl of Cornwall played an unusually large role in the coronation. The Earl, Piers Gaveston, carried Edward the Confessor's crown in for Edward to be crowned. But Isabella was 12 and not English, so she may not have noticed anything was off. Coronations are probably mad anxiety-inducing. She was busy. Red flag number three was everything about the wedding feast. The wedding feast would have been like a reception. The bride and groom together being congratulated. King Edward chose to spend his feast with peers. It would have been odd at a reception for the groom to hang out with the best man more than the bride. But remember, the bride was 12. The groom was 23, and the wedding was more of a business deal than a wedding. Edward wasn't unkind to Isabella, who he had nicknamed Isabella La Belle, or in English, Isabella the Fair, after her father, but he didn't really pay much attention to her. The feast was decorated with the family crests of both Edward and Piers, and Piers was dressed 
as royalty, which again, he wasn't. Isabella's uncles left the wedding angry at how she had been treated. They left the country angry on their way to tell her father how poorly England treats its queens. It's unclear of how much of this would have been noticed by Isabella. Again, she was 12, but she was also very royal and very intelligent. She had grown up around royal protocol and likely would have noticed that she wasn't being treated like a queen. What she also probably would have heard is all the court gossip over the next few years. The gossip would have gone something like this. Old King Edward, who we aren't really going to go into, but think Braveheart. He was the king in Braveheart. Old King Edward banished Piers from England for being a bad influence on Prince Edward. His dying wish was that Piers stayed banished. And Edward called Piers back from exile just as soon as he became king. It was the first thing he did. And he made him the Earl of Cornwall. Even leaving Piers in charge of England when Edward went to France to marry Isabella. The gossip was that Edward and Piers were in a romantic relationship. That was highly illegal in 14th century Europe. Anything that would have gotten them killed, if it happened, happened behind closed doors. No one had any proof. They were very careful. It was dangerous. The main thing for me is the emotional relationship. Whether they were romantic or not, Piers was Edward's favorite person. Edward valued Piers and his needs over everything else and everyone else. Piers was more important than Isabella. Piers was more important than England. And nobody except Piers and Edward seemed happy about that. The first few years were tough. The barons were angry Piers was more important than everything. And Isabella was angry that Piers was more important than everything. For a moment, the barons and Isabella seemed to team up. The barons demanded Piers be exiled again. And Isabella, like any good medieval queen, dropped to her knees in public and begged her husband to save them from civil war and do what the barons asked. Please banish Piers. Edward gave in and Piers was banished. He was banished a few times, but never very long. Edward didn't enjoy life without Piers, so he always called him back after just a short time. By 1311, things had settled a little. The barons were angry as ever. They had put the king on some restrictions, and he had an allowance, and he really didn't have that much power. But the trio was still together and able to be civil. Isabella was pregnant with her first child, and that was progress. The angry barons were still angry and being led by King Edward's cousin, Thomas, Earl of Lancaster. Edward and Piers went on the run with some of the royal treasury and Isabella, who was now 16 and pregnant. The barons were in hot pursuit. This couldn't have been a high point in Isabella's life. She was a pregnant teenager, chasing her husband around the English countryside while he was trying to flee the country and she was trying not to be captured or killed. At some point, Isabella and Edward got separated from Piers and Piers was captured along with part of the royal treasury, which they said he stole but we all know Edward gave it to him. That's ridiculous to think he stole the royal treasury when he's very close with the king. He was put on trial, a show trial. There was no defense portion. You don't need to defend yourself. We're just going to tell you what you did and then execute you. So the king's cousin, Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, executed King Edward's favorite, Piers Gaveston. Edward was heartbroken. 
Queen Isabella again, being the good medieval queen, convinced her husband to forgive the barons and went back to making babies. Edward made peace with the barons, but he was angry and he definitely wanted revenge. Over the next couple of years, Isabella had two babies, Prince Edward and Prince John. The barons were still unhappy, more unhappy than before, and the royal couple needed more backup. They took a trip to Paris to visit her father. While in France, Isabella had given her sisters some embroidered purses. Other than an accident in which Isabella's tent caught fire and she was injured, the trip went pretty well, and they left with French support. Later that same year, she noticed the purses that she had given to her sisters-in-law on the belts of two handsome Norman knights. Isabella made a mental note to tell her father the next time she saw him. And the next time she saw him, she did just that. Isabella's father, King Philip, put the knights under surveillance. The knights were arrested on the charge of eating, drinking, and possibly committing adultery with the princesses. Under torture, they confessed, as people generally do under torture, and were executed. Isabella's sister-in-laws were sentenced to life in prison, and a third sister-in-law who didn't even have an affair was sentenced to house arrest for knowing about and covering up for the affairs. It isn't clear if Isabella was being calculated. She, with one action, put into question the succession of the entire French throne. Her sisters-in-law could not have made any more children from prison. And the paternity of any existing children could be easily questioned after this whole affair nonsense. And because Europe was in between popes, none of her brothers could seek annulments and remarry. So... They were going to run out of kings soon. Isabella's son was next in line for the English throne, and now he was a lot closer to the French throne. Isabella was also closer to her father than her sisters-in-law. She would have valued France and its needs more than her in-laws. Look, I have a lot of sister-in-laws, and the relationship is complicated, but it seems like a pretty complicated way to get rid of them. But Isabella was very clever, so we will probably never know for sure. Edward, still angry about Piers, had found a new favorite, though, Hugh Dispenser. Hugh and his family hated Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, just as much as King Edward had. They were plotting revenge. While Piers had tolerated Isabella, the king's new favorite, Hugh, did not. He wanted nothing to do with Isabella. While on campaign against Scotland, Edward and Hugh went south to gather more soldiers, while Isabella went east. Unfortunately for Isabella, the Scottish army started moving toward her. Isabella sent word to Edward for help. Edward wrote back and said that Hugh's troops were available to help. Isabella wrote back and refused, and requested friendlier troops. In all the chaos, Edward and Hugh ended up retreating, and Isabella was left to save herself. Isabella's Squires fought off the Scottish while the knights commandeered a ship. In the escape, two of Isabella's ladies-in-waiting were killed, but they were able to evade the Flemish navy, who had pledged support to Scotland, and make their way to England. Isabella was angry. Her husband had left her for dead. 
She was the mother of his now four children, having added princesses Eleanor and Joan. She needed a break. She needed a break from the king. She needed a break from her marriage. She decided to go on a pilgrimage. Think of a 14th century girl's trip, except you have no motor vehicles, so it can last for 10 months. During this time, the two political rivals became even more angry. Everyone was either Team Edward or Team Thomas, and you couldn't be both. One of the castles that Isabella stopped at was Team Thomas. Isabella was seen as Team Edward, obviously as his wife, and they refused her entry and then fired on her. Boom, civil war. Edward and Hugh were thrilled for a reason to go to war with Thomas and his allies. Edward and Hugh won, and Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, was executed. This put Isabella in a tough position. She didn't have any affection for Thomas. He was mostly just a pain. But now Edward and Hugh had no major rivals left. Roger Mortimer, an ally of Thomas, had escaped to France. Edward and Hugh went on an epic revenge tour, even turning on Isabella. They took away her money, arrested her French household members, and removed her children from her custody, giving custody instead to Hugh's family. Isabella was in a difficult spot for sure, but she had trained for this her whole life. Philip the Fair, by this point, had died, and so had a couple of her brothers. So her brother Charles was now the King of France. Edward had stopped paying tribute for his lands in Gascony, again, and Charles was threatening to take it away, again. Isabella put on a smile and all of the charms she could muster and offered to go to France and work out a deal with her brother on behalf of her husband. Edward was thankful for the help and happily sent Isabella off to France. Once in France, the deal was made quickly. Isabella argued that King Edward could make his son, Prince Edward, Duke of Aquitaine. He was going to inherit it at some point anyway, and that way the young prince could pay tribute to his uncle, the French king, and Edward was off the hook. Edward again happily sent his son off to France as the new Duke of Aquitaine. Once in France, the whole plan changed. Isabella had met up with Roger Mortimer in France, the enemy of her husband and the old ally of Thomas. A plan was hatched in which Isabella would be the figurehead. Prince Edward would agree to marry Philippa of Hainault. Philippa's father would provide an army. Roger Mortimer would lead the army. And all together, they would stop Edward and Hugh and their revenge tour. Easy peasy. Isabella started her PR spin. She dressed in mourning clothes because her husband was kind of dead to her. And not only did she wear the widow's clothing in France, but also once they arrived in England, she was in full character. At some point, Isabella and Roger started an affair. It was a dangerous choice, but she was already rebelling against the crown, so what's a little extra treason? She was probably pretty lonely. While traveling through England, her army grew in every single town she passed. The people were over it, they weren't happy with Edward, and they were willing to take a chance on the young Prince Edward and his poor, poor mother, who was really just another victim of the King and Hugh, or at least that was the spin. Isabella and company took the country with relative ease. Edward and Hugh fled, but were captured. Hugh was killed, as seemed to be the new tradition, and King Edward was put into captivity. 
Edward was again heartbroken over Hugh's death. It was like Piers all over again. And he was convinced to abdicate in favor of his son. The elder King Edward was kept in captivity, but after no less than three rescue attempts, he just kind of died. No reason was given, just he's not around anymore. Many people think Roger and Mortimer had him killed because keeping him alive was just too dangerous. Roger and Isabella were in an affair. If Edward became powerful again, they were not going to survive. They were running the country for the young King Edward for over three years, and they slowly made themselves richer and richer and richer. Once King Edward became old enough to rule on his own, he had his mother's boyfriend arrested and killed, as one does. The PR team started working again, and now Isabella was the poor queen mother, mistreated by her husband and taken advantage of by the treacherous Roger Mortimer. She was able to live another almost two decades, being the queen mother and grandmother, and died in her 60s, a very wealthy woman. That is the story of Isabella of France. What did you think? Or do you think she falls on the scale of poor helpless woman to ruthless she-wolf? For me, I think she was a woman in a time that it was very difficult to be a woman. And using her cleverness, she did the best she could. And by the end of her life, she was like, you know what? It's been a long life. I'm too old for this. I'm just going to retire. I think, I think she did okay, given the life she was given. If you have any comments or thoughts on this, feel free to email me at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com. And I am going to give a shout out to one of my favorite modern day queens, my sister Stephanie, who is a nurse and a mommy and an all around epic queen. She is also the bravest woman that I know. If you want someone shouted out from here, feel free to email me again at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Bye.